Father, we have come to you so many times in times of trouble when the the waves of trouble roll and they crash up against us. We we turn to you in those times and we find our strength and our refuge in you. And Lord, we pray that you would remind us of that uh, freshly tonight in your word. Help us to be able to think of specific ways in which we can talk to you about our troubles and and how to respond to them. And may we respond not only with dependence on you, but also with praise and ongoing trust. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm number 31 this evening. Psalm number 31. This 31st Psalm was written by David, as many of these that we've been looking at have been. And this is a lament, which is an expression of sorrow to God followed by uh, an expression of trust in God. So that's the difference between complaining and a lament, a biblical lament, is complaining is just talking about our circumstances in a negative way. But, but a lament is one that, that talks about our sorrow to God and then moves to trust in God. And that's really where it ought to be. So it's not that we can ever, we can ever you know, discuss any of the trouble that comes in life. Uh, we ought to talk to God about it, and but then move to trust. That is, God, I, I trust that you're going to, to take care of this situation as you please. I, I, you are in my hands. Remember, the disciples asked the Lord if he would teach them to pray. And tonight we want to ask of the Lord the same thing. We're going to do it a little bit differently than, than they did. They asked Jesus directly. We're going to ask the text of Scripture to do it for us. So how is it, God, that you would like us to pray? And we expect that God will answer us because the Psalms are very much um, prayers that are directed toward God, all sorts of different kinds of prayers. But I would say that the majority uh, of them are laments. That is, um, uh, uh, the largest number of them are laments. That is, about 65 of the 150 Psalms are laments. There are a number of praise and thanksgiving Psalms, uh, probably about 40 to 50 of those, um, and then the rest, there's a bunch of different categories. But the primary type of psalm that we see, the, the most frequent type of psalm, is the lament psalm. And, and from this, you, we should learn to pray. And one of the things that I'm going to encourage us to do tonight is to actually pray with an open Bible. So as we pray tonight, I'm going to pray when we finish and pray some of the things that we have looked at tonight. But I, I'm going to encourage each of you in your smaller groups to, to pray with an open Bible. That is... Um, take some of the, the truths of Scripture and pray them back to God. Um, pray like the psalmist prays. It's a great way to, to, um, to beef up your prayers with, with um, God-centered type thinking. And here David helps us to understand or to be able to express in a way both our utter despair because of the trouble that's going on along with our complete confidence. So it's it's kind of like both of them at the same time. We're, we're in despair, but we also are confident in God. And sometimes we think, well, you can either have one or the other. But, but David, I think, does both. He shows that he is in deep despair, but he also is in confident. He, he's also confident in God. So let me begin reading here in verse 1. This is the Word of God. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man, out of mind. 
I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make Your face to shine upon Your servant. Save me in Your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon You. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent and sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is Your goodness, which You have stored up for those who fear You, which You have wrought for those who take refuge in You before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of Your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for He has made marvelous His loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before Your eyes. Nevertheless, You heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to You. O love the Lord, all You His godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong. And let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Tonight, we see that when being attacked by, en- by enemies, the righteous turn to God for strength and deliverance. When being attacked by enemies, the righteous turn to God for strength and deliverance. And this psalm, I think, can be broken up into two main parts. First, the righteous trust in the Lord, verses 1 to 22. And then, The final two verses, the righteous encourage others to trust in the Lord. Alright, so first he starts off with this, trusting in the Lord. I am confident in what God can do despite my trouble. But then he wants to appeal to others. That's why in verse 23 he says, Oh, love the Lord, all you His godly ones. Now all of you, now that you've heard from me and how God has been gracious to me, you follow in, in trusting God. So first, the righteous trust in the Lord. The righteous trust in the Lord through dependent prayer, verses 1 to 3. They trust in the Lord through dependent prayer. When in trouble, the righteous seek refuge in God. Verse 1 says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. This is what we just sang, that, that I cling to the rock that is stronger than I, right? When in trouble, the righteous seek refuge in God. And those who seek refuge in God pray to Him specifically. Notice how He prays. Here's here's the content, uh, some of the points of content of His prayer. Let me never be ashamed, verse 1. And then at the end of verse 1, deliver me, verse 2. Incline your ear to me, rescue me, be to me a rock, a stronghold to save me. So He's asking for vindication. Don't let me be ashamed. We'll talk about this when we get to verse 17 because there He's going to say, don't let me be ashamed, O Lord, but let my enemies be ashamed. But, but here he, he prays for vindication. Don't let my face ever be distraught because of my following of you. He prays for deliverance. At the end of verse 1, deliver me. And then the end of verse 2, save me. That's not the uh, salvation like we tend to think of it. Um, that is like a... a um, a spiritual work that's done in us. What he's talking about is rescue him from his enemies. That's the idea. Same idea as deliver. In verse 2, he asks for a listening ear. Incline your ear to me, God. This shows the urgency of what he's asking. Hey, don't be deaf to me. We saw in another psalm. You know, don't, don't allow your ear to be deaf to me. Listen to what I have to say. Incline your ear to me. And then be my refuge at the end of verse 2. If God was going to answer David then God would have to provide a place of refuge in a time of turmoil. Those who seek refuge in God pray to Him specifically. Thirdly, those who, those who seek refuge in God appeal to His glory. They appeal to His glory. Notice in verse 1, at the end it says, In your righteousness deliver me. And then in verse 3, it says, For your name's sake you will lead me. So David is praying on the basis of what this means for God. Okay, this is a prayer that's much bigger than just himself and you know his little hangnail that he's bothered by, right? He's concerned about God's glory. People are looking at this situation. I'm looking at this situation. 
and, and you, God, need to come out on the right side. That is, you need to be vindicated in this. This is about your name, your reputation. This is why David's um, uh, battle with Goliath is so important. We're going to see on Sunday night that, that David is most concerned not about his name and making a reputation for himself, is he? He's about uh, de- defending the name of God. You have defied the armies of the living God. And later on he says, you have defied God. That's why I've attacked you. And God's glory will not be thrown through the mud. David wasn't going to allow it. So he trusted in God in that place. Here, David is praying much bigger than his own situation. He realizes that this situation, we're going to talk about exactly what, well, not exactly, but, but generally what kind of situation he's in. And based on the situation that he's in with these enemies um, attacking and, and in some cases winning, then what does this mean for God? How does this affect God's reputation. And so David prays in that way. Again, I, I've mentioned before that we should pray in this way. We should pray in ways that are bigger than just our little circumstances. What it, how does this affect God's name, God's reputation, God's glory, whether or not He's receiving glory, uh, having a glory ascribed to His name? Fourthly, the righteous trust in the Lord through dependent prayer. And those who seek refuge in God will find refuge in God. Verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me. So here he's confident that because I'm seeking refuge in you, I know that I will find it in you. You're going to lead me and guide me. You're going to, in this case, protect me. And the reason that David knows that, that is because he has seen God deliver before. He's seen God be his refuge before, and so he's confident that God will do it again. God has been a rock and a fortress before, and so why would he not do it this time. The kind of person that can seek refuge in God and find it is the person who's willing to trust God. So let me try to illustrate this point. The, the kind of person that seeks refuge in God is the person that's willing to trust God. Because I think part of our problem in not seeking refuge in God enough, you know, we, we have the situation that creeps up and we kind of exhaust all of our resources trying to solve the problem on our own. And we, then when we finally exhaust all of our resources, then we say, okay, God, now can you help me? And, and that's good. I mean, that's better than not going to Him at all. But, but what I would suggest is the reason we go to all these other means without going to God is because we don't trust God. And um, so to illustrate, you had the people during Katrina, I think that was 04, who heard the warnings of the coming flood and they actually trusted in those people who were giving those warnings. And as a result, they sought and found refuge. So who, is it, who was it prior to the flood that found refuge in Louisiana? It was those who trusted in those who were speaking the warnings, right? It was, it was the people who trusted in, in the ones who were giving the warnings. And, and the converse is all, also true, isn't it? Those who didn't seek refuge were the ones who either didn't think they would find refuge in another place or they, they simply didn't trust the person who was giving the warning. And as a result, they found themselves trapped and many died, right? And so uh, the question is not whether or not God is a good enough refuge. The question is, is whether we trust in Him to be our refuge in times of trouble, no matter what that is, right? So... Here's the trouble, fill in the blank, whatever that trouble is. Do we trust that God is the refuge to whom we should turn? David did. The righteous trust in the Lord through dependent prayer. Number two, the righteous trust in the Lord to deliver them, verses 4 through 8. So, this is David's trust being expressed now in verses 4 through 8. Now, this isn't the first expression we've seen of David's trust. I would say the first expression that we've seen of David's trust here in this psalm is verse 1. In you I take refuge. He's, he turns to God in prayer. This is, this is an expression of trust. So when you're in the time of trouble, the very first thing you should do is to, to go to God in prayer. David does that. But here's an actual expression. It's kind of expanded for us to, to kind of see why, why is it that David trusts God? And there's 
much that we can do to depend on God. And, and, and sometimes we may know what we need to do in order to improve in the way that we express our trust to God. But the most basic expression of our trust is, is talking to God. It, it's simply saying to God what our situation is and asking Him to help. That's the most basic expression of trust. Here in verses 4 through 8, His trust is expressed through confidence that God will deliver. So yes, it is expressed in His talking to God, but it's also expressed in, in His confidence that God will deliver. The righteous are confident in God's future deliverance. Notice verse 4. Notice the tense of the verb here. You will pull me out of the net which they have securely laid for me. So here he's in the situation where he's being trapped by his enemies. That's the net idea. But he's saying, God, you will pull me out. He's confident that God will deliver. And what we learn from this is that the righteous often find themselves in desperate situations. That, that you have enemies in verse 4 that are secretly laying out traps for him. Verse 5, he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. The righteous often find themselves in desperate situations. In verses 1 and 2, David had prayed for deliverance and vindication and a listening ear and a place of refuge. Here he prays that he's, he would be delivered from the traps that the enemies have set for him. And then in verse 5, he commits himself to God. So that when the threat of earthly persecutions are overwhelming, and from a human perspective, when the threats of persecution are unbeatable, you know what the faithful do? They do what David does here in verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. He commits himself, his life. That's the idea of spirit there. It's his whole life to God. He's saying, God, I am on the brink of death because of my enemies. And so I commit my life to you. Do with it as you please. Because you own me. And notice that the second part of verse 5, you have ransomed me. So you doubly own me effectively because you created me and you ransomed me. And so you have sovereign control over everything that happens to me. So I'm just going to lay myself into your hands. Do you remember who else prayed this same prayer? Jesus and who else? Stephen, right? Acts 7, I think it was. Before he was killed, he said, Into my hands, into your hands I commit my spirit. Of course, Jesus is the first one that comes to mind. That in the midst of real persecution, God's people trust their lives to God. And so this goes back to what we've been looking at on Sunday morning during Sunday school, which is, are we willing to trust God with our whole lives or are we, or, or are we wanting to hold some back? Right? This is the idea of giving the keys to the, the, the home of our hearts to God, but only letting, letting Him come in and sit at the front door at the, at the, um, the foyer area there. What, what do you call that there? The, um, the entryway, call it that. All right? Um, so we, we let him come in and he stays there. And it's like, no, you can't have any other room. And, and what David is saying, listen, God, I, I don't have control over this situation and I would love to take control and, and get my life back, but I don't have the ability to do so. So all of it is yours, God. I commit my spirit to you. In verse 6, the righteous know the vanity of trusting in false gods. Notice this doesn't seem to be very much connected. He he commits himself to God. He asks for uh, his enemies to. Um, uh, he asks himself to be removed from his enemies. In verse six, then he says, "I hate those who regard vain idols." Well, what does that have to do with anything? He's saying, in contrast to God, you, God, who is worthy of my trust. See, that's what I've been doing so far. I'm, I'm, I'm laying myself. I'm giving myself to you. In contrast to you, who are worthy of my trust. I'm not going to, to, to depend upon the pagan idols or, or really the worthless um, emptiness or the empty, empty, worthless things, the pagan gods. There's no value in trusting in anything or anyone else in times of trouble than in God. And so David makes that contrast. Notice the second part of, of the verse. You know, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. 
so the righteous know the vanity of trusting in false gods. And then verse 7, the righteous anticipate praising God for two things. They anticipate praising God. I will Notice the tense again. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction and you have known the troubles of my soul. So, so here David says, the reason that I can expect to praise you is because you, notice the, the verbs that are used to describe God, you have seen and you have known. That, that there is nothing new to you, God, about these trials. You have seen them from the very beginning. You have known them. And so here's what I anticipate, verse 7, that I will rejoice and be glad in your what? And your loving kindness, which is just another way to say loyal love. God's committed to loving David because he is God's child. So the first reason that he knows that he will praise God is because God sees and knows. And then the second reason is found in verse 8, and it is that God will be his refuge. You have not given me over to, into the hand of enemy, the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. It's simply a, a secure place where I'm not crushed in from some trap. Uh, you've, you've put me back to a place where I can be safe. So the righteous trust in the Lord through dependent prayer. They trust in the Lord to deliver them. And then thirdly, the righteous trust in the Lord by expressing their desperate state. Verses 9-13, through 13, their desperation. Now, we've already seen some of David's desperation. He says that, that they've put a net out for me in verse 4. And he says, God, I'm, I'm on the brink of death, so I commit my life to you here. But here he wants to expand on that. So now we see a little bit more of what it is that's troubling David so much. Have you ever prayed to God like this? Notice verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. My body is wasted away. So first, he, he seems to be crying so much that, that his eyes are wasting away in verse 9. In verse 10, he feels like all of his days are filled with sorrow. And then in verse second part of verse 10, he wonders if his own sin is, is part of the reason for his trouble. He says, my strength has failed because of my iniquity. You know, the reason that I'm not trusting you like I should, God, and I, I don't have enough is because of my sin. It could be that he's wondering if, if his circumstances are a direct result of his sin, or it could be that he's saying that I don't trust you enough um, because of my sin. I, I think of Naomi when she returned to Bethlehem after her husband died. You remember all the people said, Hey, Naomi, you're back. She said, Don't call me that anymore. My name's not Naomi, the pleasant one. Call me Mara, the bitter one, because God has dealt bitterly with me. He has witnessed against me. In other words, He, he must be responding to my sin. This is the only explanation that I can come up with. Job eventually got there at some point. He just said, well, there must be something. And I think David's there where he's, he's experiencing this trouble and he's trying to make a connection between why the trouble's there and what he has done. As a result, he's crying. He's filled with sorrow day after day. And even verse 10 talks about years. My years with sighing. That is... Maybe not this one trial that just goes on and on, but probably just there's ongoing troubles that come up and, and I just feel like my whole life is one of, of sorrow, in a sense. And notice how desperate a situation becomes in verses 11 through 13. The people who he thought were his friends have now abandoned him. Because all my adversaries, because of them, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. And, and those who see me in the street flee from me. The people that I counted as, as people that I would, you know, normally would go up and have a conversation with them. Some of these were my neighbors, friends. We did neighborly things together. And now, what do they think of me? They think I'm a reproach. They look down on me. 
they see me in the street and flee from me like I'm a leper or something. Like I'm, I've got the mark of death on me. Verse 12, I've become like a non-factor. It's, it's, it's almost as if I, I'm not even living anymore. See that in verse 12? I'm forgotten like a dead man. In verse 13, people have slandered me and worked together to tear me down. I've heard their slander, their terror on every side, and they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take away my life. Have you been there? Are you there right now? Because this is a pretty desperate situation for a believer to be in. That his days are filled with crying and his years are filled with sorrow and sighing. Who can rescue David from such deep trouble that's compounded by the, the hatred of his enemies and the reproach of his friends? And praise God we have an answer here in verse 14. Look at it with me. But as for me, so despite all of this that I've just said about my lamenting and my sorrow, God, I trust in You. I say, You are my God. So, number four, the righteous... Oops, go too far. The righteous trust in the Lord through confident prayer, verses 14 through 18. The righteous trust in the Lord through confident prayer. Again, this is not the first expression of David's trust. The first expression of his trust is when he started talking to God, when he turned to God in his time of trouble. But here he states it in, in perhaps the clearest terms in this entire psalm. And he's saying, despite the surrounding trouble, God, I will trust in you. I do trust in you. In fact, the, the verb there, I trust, is a present perfect verb in the Hebrew, which has the idea of not I trust you one time or I trusted you one time. It is I am trusting you. I have been trusting you. In other words, this trouble came up and it felt like it was starting to choke me out, choke the spiritual life out of me. But Lord, I have been trusting you and why would I allow this trouble to choke out that trust I have for you. I'm going to continue to trust you now. This is what Job said when he started uh, his trial, right? Shall I accept good from the Lord and not evil? Right? If, if God gives me lots of good gifts, certainly I should praise Him and be on His side and trust Him. But, but what happens when God takes those things away? Is that okay? Can I still trust God in that? David saying, See, I've trusted you all along, God, and this trouble is not going to stop me from trusting you. I, as for me, I trust in you. Despite the surrounding trouble, the righteous trust in God. Verse 15, the righteous can trust God with their lives from beginning to end. My times are in your hand. This probably is the idea that he knows that God controls every second, not just the time of his death, but, but every single second in his life is controlled by the Almighty Sovereign God. And so as a result, we can trust him to deliver us. The righteous can trust God from beginning to end. The righteous depend on God's loyal love in verse 16. Again, he comes back to this idea of loving kindness at the end of the verse. Make your face to shine upon me. This is, this is um, the idea of showing your favor to me. Would you show your favor to me and save me or deliver me in your loving kindness? According to your loyal love, God, you have promised to be loyal to me. So would you look with favor on me? Verse 17, the righteous expect God to judge them properly. Let me, let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Saying, God, you in this situation should judge properly what's going on here. You should look down on this situation and recognize the sharp contrast between the actions of the righteous and the actions of the wicked. That there is a sharp contrast between the thoughts and the desires of the righteous and the thoughts and the desires of the wicked. God, look at those situations with me and my enemies and then respond because there should be a sharp contrast in the way that God comes and, and, and respond to those who, who, who trust in God and those who 
who reject God and His people. And David is simply praying, God, would you judge properly, judge appropriately, according to what each party deserves? The righteous expect God to judge properly. And then verse 18, the righteous pray for, for the trouble to end. They pray for the trouble to be removed. Notice, let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. So here we find a little bit more about this attack that's coming on him. We saw that it was slander in verse 13, that it was a misrepresentation. Here he's calling it lying, a lying that's taking place. He's saying, would you, would you shut their mouths of those who are lying about me? I think this is a good prayer for our church to pray in light of this recent slanderous attack against the people of this church. And, and what we can learn from this is that David's not trying to take out vengeance himself, is he? He's not saying, God, let me loose so I can tear them apart. No, God, you take out the vengeance that they deserve because of their sin. How many times since that attack was leveled against our church have I prayed, God, I don't even know how to pray about the situation. And yet what we learn here from the Scriptures is that we can actually have some content to fill in those those um, times when we're unsure of what to say. Because frankly, I haven't known exactly how to pray. But, but this psalm, I think, helps. Shut their lying lips, right? Those who speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. Don't allow them to continue. The righteous trust in the Lord through confident prayer. And then, fifthly, the, right, the righteous trust in the Lord because of His past works. Verses 19-22. So, he starts out with this initial expression of confidence in, Lord, I, in You, O Lord, I take refuge. And then he turns to this lament. Here's why I'm so sorrowful. I'm just crying and, and filled with grief. And then in verse 14 he says, But as for me, I trust in You, O God. And now this, this psalm turns from lament to trust to, verse 19, to praise. And this is consistent with what we know we ought to be doing, right? Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. Or in everything, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, so that, that even in times of trouble, we can praise God and we can because we know what kind of God we serve. That God has in the past worked favorably for His people and David's confident that He'll do it again. Notice what he says. In the midst of this trouble, he says, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. Verse 20, You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in the shelter from the strife of their tongues. God, you have this great storehouse of goodness that's just bursting at the seams and you can just take a small sampling or a small dollop of that goodness and just pour it on me and it would just be enough. And God, I know you're ready to distribute that to those who trust in you and so that's what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm praising you because you are the God who responds to your people. You have been a refuge before, verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for He has made marvelous, again, this word loving kindness to me in a besieged city. In other words, I've experienced your, your refuge before. And even when, verse 22, I'm at the end of my rope, I trust in you to rescue me. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. So he's saying, listen, God, there was this time when I was being pressed in on every side and I just felt like you had turned away from me. But notice what God does in that situation. He said, David's saying, in my alarm, I, I, I felt like I was cut off from you, cut off from your blessing. And what does God do? But you heard the voice of my supplications. It's like the baby who doesn't know fully how to express all of his feelings, but, but he simply cries out, Mommy. 
and, and when it felt like there was no more hope and there was nothing left, and that there's no connection between his plight and, and his father's love, that's when God came in and heard his voice. He called me. And I'm going to respond to you when you cry to me. God heard his prayer and responded. The righteous trust in the Lord because of his past works. And God is faithful to deliver. So once we do that, the natural thing for us to do is this second part of the psalm, which is that we should encourage others to trust in the Lord too. So are, are you tracking here with David? Have you, have you seen God deliver you in times of trouble? Have, have you experienced it recently or, or maybe in the deep, near uh the near past? Have you experienced God rescue you in times of trouble? Have you seen God's goodness? Has God been your refuge when you were on the brink of disaster and God spared you? Then not, not only should it be a, a, a reason for you to shout, to, to praise God individually, but I think it should also compel you to to call others to do the same. And this is how God's name is, is praised, how his, his fame is spread. Because it's not just an individual relationship that we have. It, it is. It starts there. We have to have an individual relationship. But it's a corporate relationship, isn't it? That we want to see more and more people come to see God how we see Him. We want to, to see people to see God how God wants us to see us. And so we want to see this worship of Him spread. And the reason that... Uh, let's just look at this first part of verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you His godly ones. So He's going to call the people to do two things. First, to love God. And second, to be strong and courageous. So that's in verse 24. So He's saying, do you see what God's doing here? He's a faithful God who loves His people and responds to them in times of trouble. Why don't you love Him with me? And be strong and courageous in times of trouble. The reason that we should worship Him is found at the end of verse 23. And it is because we, we reap what we sow. That God rewards us according to our deeds, whether they're good or evil. That the Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. So, so we may feel like there is some injustice going on right now, right? We're, we're seeking to do right. We're following God's standard. And as a result, we're be, being crushed by our enemies. And what David wants us to recognize is we can trust in God here in this situation. We don't have to fear. God will judge us according to our deeds. We might be tempted to give up when we're being afflicted, but God is still watching, right? God sees and He knows. Wasn't that what we saw Oh, where was that? Oh, you have seen, verse 7, you have seen my affliction, you have known the trouble. So God, God, God knows our situation from the beginning and He will remain faithful to us. And so we should be, remain faithful to Him. The point David's making is, it's worth it to love the Lord. You may feel like it hurts and, and it's painful and, and, and you may be on an island sometimes. But it's worth it because God rewards the righteous. He gives grace to the humble and He, um, he opposes the proud. He, as verse 23 says, He recompenses. He gives the, to the proud doer what they deserve. That's the idea. So He calls for them to love with Him the people Love God with me. He's, he's worthy of your love. And then, and then he calls them to be strong and courageous. The faithful wait on God because they know that He will act. Verse 24, Be strong and let your heart take courage. Talking to all the people, all you who hope in the Lord. Here's our job. That opposition will come. Opposition is not rare for the believer. Especially when you are growing in your faith, especially when you are strong in your faith, opposition will come. Because Satan can receive much glory from your demise. 
but our job is to remain strong. The opposition may come from other religions. It may come from another government or our government. It may come from our enemies. It may come from within this church. And that shouldn't surprise us because Satan is not slow to attack the progress of the work of God. When the Gospel is advancing, that's where Satan sets up a barrier, an obstacle. So we should not be surprised. Instead, we should be strong and, and courageous. And you know, your strength is not found in yourself or your efforts, is it? Your strength is found in, in whom you take refuge. How strong is the rock on which you're standing? That's where your strength's going to be. So, a couple of thoughts here in closing to consider. First, when opposition comes, remember that God has not given up on you. You can be confident that God is on your side because Jesus experienced... Jesus was not abandoned by God even in His death. So we can be confident that when we entrust ourselves to God, He will deliver us. God delivered Jesus in a different way. Remember, Jesus said, into your, into your hands, God, I commit my spirit. Now, for Jesus, it wasn't through life. He wasn't saying, okay, I'm going to take you out of this trial that you're going through, being persecuted and killed. I'm going to take you out of that. No, He actually allowed Him to go through it, but God was still there, wasn't He? And His... His deliverance actually came through His death. And you read through Hebrews 11 and see the saints of old who many were, you know, they were tortured, sawn in two, died by the sword, and they all died without receiving the promise. And so their deliverance ultimately comes in death. Our deliverance ultimately will come through death. But, but what we can be confident in is that sometimes God will deliver us in life as well. He's going to allow us to get through this trial. He may not take the trial away, but, but He'll allow us to get through it. So whether in life or in death, we can be confident that God will deliver us. That's the point. When opposition comes, we must not give up on God. We must not give up on God. So trust in His goodness and constantly hope in Him. Trust in His goodness. I, I think it's, it's easier to re- reject God's sovereign rule over all things You know, it's easier for us to say, no, I can't commit my life, my spirit to You, God. It's easier to do that than it is to trust Him. And I think it's even easier to attribute evil to God than it is to trust Him. Let me explain what I mean. That when trouble comes, we can explain our situation away because, you know, maybe God's doing His best, but He really can't help us. Or maybe God doesn't love me. Something I did. He takes pleasure in in pouring trouble on me. And I think we, we tend to do this kind of rationalizing with with other people as well, that instead of listening to them and talking to them and, and believing the best about their hearts, we, we instead demonize them. We just see their actions and attribute evil motives to their actions and say, well, it must have been doing it with an evil heart. And we put all the actions that they do, whether they were intended to be good or, or intended to be evil, we put them all in the category of evil and assume, assume that this person is evil all the time. When in fact, they may actually be seeking to do good. And that's because I think it's easier for us to simply dismiss a person and treat them as if they're evil than to get to know them and to learn to trust them. And sadly, we subtly can do that same kind of reasoning with God. And instead of believing that God is in control of everything and that He is a good God and that He always does good to His people, instead of that, instead of trusting Him, we'd rather attribute our loss to bad luck. And, and when we say bad luck, do you know what we're saying? That, that God's somehow not in control of that part of it. There's something going on here that's not really under God's control so it has to be attributed to something else, and so we call it luck. Or maybe we attribute it to the idea that God's punishing us. And what if it were neither? What if it weren't bad luck or God was punishing us when trouble comes? And the reason I know that it's neither of those is because there is no such thing as bad luck. There's no such thing as good luck. All, everything, including the casting of the lot, is in the control of God, Right? Everything is controlled by God. And God never punishes His children. 
punish, when you think punishment, think punitive judgment, a payment for what you deserve. You never have to pay for what you deserve as His child. Why? Why not? Because Christ has paid it all in full. If you had to pay part of it, that means that Christ didn't. So no matter how deep, how vile your sin was, or is, or will be, as His child, all of your judgment was poured out on Christ and does not come upon you. That everything that comes from God is actually a gift from His loving hand. Can you accept that? I mean, do you believe that the Lord actually is doing good to you when He disciplines those whom He loves? See, do you see the difference between punishment and discipline? Punishment is punitive. It's, it's correct. It's, it's a payment for what you've done. It's like being put in jail or having to you know, experience the death penalty. We don't have to do any of those things. Instead, God disciplines us because He loves us. And so what we know from our trials is that God is not taking our nose and sticking our nose in, his, in, in our sin. He's not making us pay, but rather He, he is lovingly correcting us like a father does with his son and says, hey, listen, let's get back on the right track, okay? Because I want, your, I want you to be a trophy of my grace. I want your faith to shine in a world that opposes me. And as long as you're living in sin, you're not living like I intended for you to live. And so my love is going to be expressed sometimes in correcting you. Now please don't hear me say that all of your trials are a result of, of God's correction. Sometimes God just uses trials to display your faith. Sometimes God uses trials to strengthen our faith. But I think many times He does use it as a means to discipline us. And, and yet, even in that, what I'm trying to say is, even in that, we still cannot deny that God is good God. He loves us and that God is in control of all things. Verse 19, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. So, we must not give up on God. That means we need to trust in His goodness and then we need to constantly hope in Him. How many times, if you were to make to say this prayer here in, in, in Psalm 31, how many times do you think you'd have to say this prayer? in the face of one single desperate situation. You think this is just kind of a one and done, just say it to God and then you never have to say it again, wait for Him to respond. I'd suggest that something like this and many of the prayers that we pray to God, in fact, are meant to be prayed over and over again. And that shows that we are, notice verse 24, all you who hope or are hoping in the Lord. It's a constant, ongoing trust. So we don't just say, God, deliver me from my troubles. And God, where are you at? You haven't responded. No, we, we say, God, deliver me from my troubles. God, my these, these enemies are, are closing in on me. Would you deliver me? God, for the sake of your name, would you deliver me? And we keep praying and praying. And that shows our trust. It's not, it's not that we just vainly repeat our prayers like the Catholics would do, right? But, but we're patient with God. We're waiting on Him for His timing and at the same time still calling on Him and depending on Him. Like the woman who went to the judge, to the unjust judge, and kept asking, how much more does your Heavenly Father want to answer you, want to give you good gifts than that unjust judge? And yet He still responded to her. When opposition comes, we must, God has not given up on us. We must not give up on God. Two more. We must entrust ourselves to God. And these will be quick. We must entrust ourselves to God. We do this through fervent prayer, and faithful obedience to His will. This is what trust look, looks like. It means depending on God in prayer, saying, God, in You, O Lord, I take refuge. You are my strength, my rock. And we obey His desires. So God, if I'm going to entrust myself to You, it's not just that I'm just going to pray to You, but I'm also going to, to follow You. I'm going to be faithful to You. Right? Do you remember verse... Um, I don't even remember it. Verse 23, The Lord preserves the faithful. Those who are faithfully obedient, faithfully following, faithfully trusting Him. So God expects us to entrust ourselves to Him by praying to Him 
and by by obeying Him. Then finally, when troubles come, plan to praise Him. I think that means both now and when God responds with favor. Okay, um, that, that when God delivers you, tell of His mercies and, and encourage other people to praise God with you. Alright? Let me pray and, and then we'll um, take some prayer requests. Let's pray. Father, in You, we take refuge. You are our rock and our strength. Would You deliver us from our troubles? Would You be faithful to us? Would You pull us out of the net that the enemies have set for us? Or do we commit ourselves and our lives to You? Do with them as You please. We will not pursue or trust in vain idols. We trust in You alone. Do not allow our enemies to win. Be gracious to us, Lord. We, we have seen sorrow. We've experienced sorrow. And sometimes the sorrow goes on for a long period of time. Lord, we want Your name to be praised. We don't want You to be smeared or Your reputation to be smeared. Lord, people may have much to oppose us. They may be scheming against us to try to destroy us. But it's in You, Lord, that we trust. You are our God. Our times are in Your hands, so deliver us. And make Your favor to shine on us. Don't let us be put to shame. Don't let us hang our heads because we're trusting in You. But do that to our enemies. May they be put to shame. May they be silent. May their lying lips be silenced. Lord, You are a good, sovereign God. You always do good to us. Even in times of trouble, we count on You. So Lord, may we live faithful, obedient to You, depending on You through prayer, living in in righteousness and truth, and calling others to do the same. Because You, Lord, preserve the faithful and You pay back those who are proud. Lord, help us to be strong and courageous as we hope in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right.